This is a Crossroads International Church podcast, bringing lives together. Please visit our website at xrds.nl for more information about us, our service times, and for other relevant resources. And a happy new year also for me. Um, I'm very, very excited this morning to preach uh, because I'm going to talk about a topic that's very, very close to my heart. And I'm kicking off a new sermon series, which is called Mythbusters. And in this series, what we'll try to do is look at uh, some myths, some things that you hear people say about the Christian faith. And we're going to look, is this true or is it false or is there some middle way, some nuance in what they are saying? And the thing that I'm going to talk about this morning is this myth. Is the Bible we have now the Bible they had back then? Is the Bible we have now the Bible they had back then. Is that true? Or is that a myth? Can we trust what the Bible says? And before we look at this question, I want to say this. This is actually a very interesting and important topic. A very interesting question to ask. You see, the rest of this year, you will hear sermons that will be from the Bible. When Johan is going to preach when Paul's going to preach, or Anna, or Leonard, or anyone else on the teaching team, when they will be preaching, they will be preaching from the Bible. But today, I'm going to look at what is the Bible? Can we trust it? All this preaching, all these lessons that we learn, all this truth, can we trust it? It's based on Scripture in the end. And so today is a sermon about the Bible. And I guess for a lot of people... When asking this question, the assumption is, well, it it cannot be true that a book can survive 2,000 years without any changes. Surely, somewhere there must have been some mistakes that creeped in. And I think a lot of people look at the Bible uh, as a game of Chinese whispers or telephone. And let me show you what I mean. Right? With With the game telephone or Chinese whispers, what you do is... You have someone who sits on a chair and they come up with this sentence, right? And then they whisper that into the ears of the next person, right? And then that person whispers it to the next person. And then at the end of the line, if things go well, you end up with a completely different sentence than what the first person started saying. And so people look at this as Chinese whispers or the game of telephone. Surely, as the Bible was moved along, things must have changed. Well, is that true? Can we trust the Bible? And I want to use this very same example to explain how we got the Bible now. All right? So pay attention. Here we go. Over the times... Let me see what I want to say. Okay, yeah. Imagine this first chair right here. Imagine that this is the original Bible, the New Testament. Just for your information, by the way, I'm only going to speak for time's sake on the New Testament. But this first chair, right? This is the original handwritten gospel according to John. Or the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, the original, right? And then what we have is, we don't, uh, what we have is, first of all, we have copies of those Bible books, right? So say 
we have here the copies. Copies of the originals. But what we have as well is this. Not only do we have copies, but as the copies were made and passed along. Oh, by the way, we have different families of copies. For example, you can show the map uh, poll. We have like the Byzantine text and the Alexandrian text and the Western text. And so these groupings of copies, or what we call families of copies, they would spread and they would be multiplied so that all the churches could read them, right? But besides the copies, we have something else. We have translations. And so, for example, the Bible was early on translated into Latin. But also we have Georgian and Syriac. We even have Arabic translations of those New Testament books. But besides that, we have something else as well. I need one more chair. Here we go. We have quotations. Quotations from church fathers, apostolic fathers. So the, so the apostles died, right? And these church leaders, they would continue leading the church and in their sermon preparations like we do now or in their commentaries or in uh, in their copies they would quote scripture now what numbers are we talking uh, first of all that's a very interesting question right uh, uh, Paul if you want you can pull up that chart with the numbers we have around 5,600 Greek manuscripts we have, when we talk about these translations, we have over 10,000 Latin translations alone. And if you add all the other languages, you get to about, I would say about 20, close to 20,000 different translations, copies of that. And then lastly, we have over 1 million Bible verses quoted by the church fathers. So we're talking about astronomical numbers here. For your information, you can see that on the slide as well, the average Greek classical writing has about 20 copies on average. An also inter interesting question is the, the difference between the original and the copy itself. And there again you see with for the Greek uh, manuscripts, there's about five centuries apart between the original and the copy that we have. And for the Bible, that is as early as 100 AD. Alright? So, we are just very blessed with such richness of manuscripts. Now, I think it's also important and uh, interesting to see a couple of these manuscripts, right? So, what are we talking about? And the first one what I want to see uh, show is the manuscript that is referred to as P52. And this is the earliest manuscript that we have, which is dated as early as 100 AD. You can show that, Paul. It's like the a little fragment of a manuscript. This is from a passage of John. And then also what we have is uh, whole codexes. And a codex is, a, is a written on both sides, right? Not like a scroll, but written on both sides. Something that we would call a book. Uh, and uh, one codex that we have that we're very proud of and, and uh, happy to have is the Codex Sinaiticus. That's the other one that you can show, Paul. Yeah, perfect. Paul is the guy, it's not our pastor, Paul, it's another Paul who's doing the slides, <laughs> just for your information. <laughs> All right, so this is the Codex Sinaiticus, which is dated uh, in early 4th century. Now, why is all this talk about these copies interesting? Right, we have the copies, the Greek 
uh, copies, the manuscripts, we have the, uh, what you call it, where are we? The translations, exactly. And then we have the quotes from the church fathers. Why is this important? Well, actually it's important because we don't have the originals anymore. Remember the handwritten gospel according to John, the letter written by Paul to the Romans, they're gone. We don't have them. But by using all these copies, we can reconstruct what the original said. Now, of course, you may ask, well, how is that possible since you don't have the original anymore? Well, this is what we call textual criticism. And what we do is we compare all these copies and translations with each other and try to recover the text and say, well, this is what it very likely said in the beginning. Now, this may sound obscure, especially when you take into consideration the next statistic, and this is the last set of numbers that I'll throw at you, right? But the New Testament has about 140,000 words in it. But when we look at these manuscripts and we look at the textual variants, those are the differences between the, the, the manuscripts, there are over so 140,000, but there are over 400,000 differences, textual variants. So that looks like a huge number. How do we even get to that number if the New Testament only has about 140,000 words? Well, actually, it's not that surprising and it's not that shocking. It's only because of the amount of manuscripts that we have. It's only because we have so many copies that we have all these differences. Now, the real question is not the quantity of the textual variants, but the quality of the textual variants. How many differences? What, what is the nature of these differences? And here, people, I can assure you, listen to this statistic. Well over 99% of all these textual variants have no effect on the meaning of the text whatsoever. Let me give you an example, right? Let me sit down here. One text says, John loves Mary. And then John is spelled J-O-N. And then another manuscript says, John loves Mary. But John is spelled J-O-H-N. And then a third manuscript says, Mary is loved by John. And the verb is in the passive, and Mary and John are reversed. So here we would have already at least three variants. And 99%, well over 99% of those, of those textual variants are of this nature. It's just a change of word order or a different uh, uh, spelling or different tense that is used. And so it's okay. There's, there's no issue really there. And it's only one-fourth of one percent of these textual variants that have some meaning, uh, some effect on the meaning, and are seem to be viable, meaning they seem to be the original and they change the, the, the meaning of the text to some degree. But even there, I want to show you an example. It's like, what are we really talking about, right? It's kind of like a small thing. But Paul, let's pull that up. Mark 9, 29. Here is an example of one textual variant that is more of a serious nature. And here you would even see, well, it's not even that serious, right? Because Mark 9, 29, Jesus just casted out a demon, and the disciples were unable to do that. And then Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. 
and fasting. Now here we have a textual variant that's part of the one-fourth of one percent that are meaningful and viable. All their manuscripts only say by prayer. And then all their manuscripts say by prayer and fasting. Well, which one is the original? Well, by doing textual criticism, by looking at the dates, you can make a case that it's only by prayer and that the addition by fasting was made later. But once again, it's very few verses. There's only about 40 verses that have this kind of um, uh, nature of textual variants that are more of a more serious nature. But having said that, we don't have the original anymore, but we do have this. And this is a Greek New Testament. And I love it. I've studied Greek and I can still use this. And what it says here, it has the Greek text. And then in the uh, comment section below, what you will see are the textual variants for a particular verse. And then what it says as well with different codes, for example, it would say A, C, L, W, and uh, F, uh, F, and some other letters. I see 250, I see 1505. It will tell you which manuscripts, which all have these codes, have that textual variant, right? So you can have this Greek New Testament that resembles the original. And so even though we don't have the originals anymore, we can say with full confidence that, we, that the Bible we have now is at the minimum teaching the same things. It may not be that it's literally letter by letter, word for word the same as the original, but that does not affect at all the meaning that we have now and the text that we have now. All right? Now, I wanted to say two more things on this real quick, and that's this. When we talk about the inerrancy of the Bible, the inerrancy meaning that the Bible is without mistakes, we never intend to say that the Bible doesn't have any grammatical or spelling errors. That's never what we intended. But what we mean by the inerrancy of the Bible, and let me quote here, the inerrancy of the Bible, what we mean is that we affirm that Scripture is without error or fault in all its teachings. That's an important difference. Also, another important uh, a myth that I more or less want to bust is this. You see, this NIV Bible that I'm using, check this, the NIV Bible that I'm using, it is not a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation. Every Bible that we use is based upon the Greek New Testament. Every Bible. So whether you are using an ESV or NASB, which are Bible versions that try to translate as literally as possible from the Greek text, or whether you use the NIV or the New Living Translation, which are translations that try to bring in a bit more fluidity and a bit more that it flows better and a bit easier to read. They are all based upon the Greek New Testament. So it's not the case that, for example, this NIV is based upon the King James Version and the King James Version was based upon the Latin 
and the Latin was based upon the Greek. It's not a translation of a translation of a translation. Every Bible that we use is based upon the Greek New Testament. All right? Now, why is all this talk important? And let me move this chair a little bit. Why is all this talk important? Well, you see... The only reason why this is important is because the Bible claims to be more than just a book. If the Bible was just a book, it would be the same as asking the question, is the Lord of the Rings we have now the same Lord of the Rings they had back then? It would just be a silly question, like trivial, right? But the Bible claims to be more than just a book. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 to 17, the following... From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for the training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. And in verse 16, you read this. All scripture is God-breathed. And this is a very literal translation of the Greek word. The Greek word here is theopneutos. And theo means God, and pneutos means wind or breath or blow, like... <sighs> and the idea that it gives here is that God worked through the writers of the New Testament like a trumpetist blows on a trumpet to produce its sounds. Now, it's important to realize that these people were not dictated by God to write down every word that they wrote down. And it's also not the case that these people were possessed by the Holy Spirit or, or that their body was taken over to write down words that God wanted to do. But this is what we mean, that God placed these specific people in these specific times, in these specific situations, so that they would freely write down his words. And it, as it is said, God superintended this process. And so the Bible claims to have two kinds of authors, man and God, human and divine. Second Peter 1 20, 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no such prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so in a nutshell, we have this beautiful summary where it's not only that the Bible itself was, uh, that that was overseen by God, the writing of Scripture itself, but also the preservation of it. That process was overseen by God so that we can say with full confidence that the Bible we have now is the Bible they had back then. And this, actually, when you think about it, is quite a stunning conclusion. Because what that means is that the Bible we have now is indeed the Word of God. That the Bible we have now is God's primary way in which He wants to speak to us. And if that is the case, can I ask you this question? Are you reading the Bible? Is this part of your daily bread? Are you letting it feed your soul? 
Are you studying it? Are you pondering on it? Do you take time in your agenda to read the scriptures? When I was preparing the sermon, I, I realized that I've been uh, in youth ministry quite a long time. Uh, actually, yesterday, uh, it was my 10th anniversary here at Crossroads. I'm working here now for 10 years with the youth. So time has flown. Um, but I can tell you, over the years, I've had many conversations with teenagers that said, you know, Manuel, I want to follow God, right? I want to believe, and I want to follow Him. But first, I want to hear His voice. I want God to speak to me. I want to have some kind of sign, some kind of miracle happen to me, because then I would know, and then I would follow. But I think, in a sense, you know, God is already speaking to us. His Word is, is like a, his, his phone call to us, and it's buzzing. Bzz, 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 bzz. And He's waiting for us to pick it up so He can speak to us. And I don't know, but I guess, I guess for a variety of reasons, we don't pick up that phone. We think, ah, oh, well, this phone call, it's just, it's not relevant anymore. Or this phone call, it's going to be boring. Or we're so distracted in life that we don't hear the buzzing anymore and we never pick it up. But God is reaching out to us and He wants to speak to us and this is His primary way of doing it. I was reminded as well, as I started my youth ministry, there was this girl, she was uh, heading into uh, a, a surgery and she was afraid of that surgery. It was a serious surgery as well. And, and she said um, that she was going to pray that she would experience God's nearness as she was going into the operation room. And she got out of surgery. I spoke to her and I asked her, well, did you sense God's nearness? And she said, no, she didn't. And it had a, such a serious effect on her belief, on her faith. And it makes me sad to hear that, that God didn't answer her prayer in the way that she wanted. But, you know, I, I also think we, that we are not in the position to kind of demand from God how he should speak to us when he should speak to us and if we kind of say well i will only believe in you i will only follow you if you do this for me especially when you think about it this way god is speaking through his word it's buzzing and he's waiting for us to pick it up and speak to us from the scriptures and i know for sure if she would have picked up the bible and starts reading it that she, and she would have prayed, Lord, will you speak to me as I read your word, that God would have granted her wish. God speaks primarily through the scriptures. And this is also very evident one time at the 15 plus. This was a couple of years ago. Um, I had a short teaching about the Bible and why we should read it. And then I said, well, let's just open up the Bible and read a scripture. And pray before you read, Lord, will you speak to me? And about half the teenagers really felt that what they were reading was written especially for them. They felt that God was speaking to them. But one girl came to me and she said, Manuel, I don't know. I don't think God is speaking to me. And I said, well, what did you read? She said, well, I read about Simpson. 
and how he was sleeping with these women and it was just being dumb because he, know he knew he shouldn't do that. And so it's just kind of like obvious and I don't understand why I read this. I said, yeah, it's, it's quite striking, right? How some things can be so obvious and clear, but we still do them and we know there we shouldn't be doing that. And she, her face changed, right? Basically, she said, oh crap, I think God is speaking to me. And she really felt, it was, this was her experience, she felt that God was saying to her that she was now in a relationship that she shouldn't be in. And so God is still speaking through us through his word. But I also want to say this, even when you pick up the Bible and you pray, Lord, will you speak to me? And you don't have the sense that God is saying something particularly to you. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that bring you down. Just read the word regardless. I mean, this contains everything God wants you to know about him. And it's therefore still important, even if you don't sense, this is now for me. Let me read a Bible verse for you. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces, it pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And this is what Charles Spurgeon says in his comment on this Bible verse. I love it. Check this out. He says this. A sword with two edges has no blunt side. It cuts both this way and that. And the revelation of God given to us in Holy Scripture is edge all over. It is alive in every part. And in every part, keen to cut the conscience and wound the heart. Depend upon it. It is there not as a superfluous verse in the Bible, nor a chapter which is useless. So what I want to encourage you to do is read the Bible. Feed yourself with God's word. If you want to hear his voice, if you want him to speak to you, open up his word. This is his primary way of speaking to us. And we can trust that it's the real thing. There's a story that goes like this, and I'll close off my sermon with this. Someone once said, over the years, I think I've gone to church more than a thousand times, and I can't remember the specific content of even one sermon over those many years. Was it good to go to church a thousand times? And someone else responded saying, over the past many years, I have eaten more than a thousand meals prepared by my wife. I cannot remember the specific menu of any of those meals, but they nourish me along the way. And without them, I would be a different man. And so it is with reading the Bible. It will do its spiritual work in us if we let it in. I think the timing of this sermon couldn't be any better. We are at the start of a new year and everyone's making new year resolutions. Why not make it your new year resolution to pick up God's phone and start reading it, to let God speak to you? Make it your resolution to read it daily. Let it be like daily bread. Let it feed you. Let it nourish you. Will you do that this year? 
And as we read it, we can trust that the Bible we have now was the Bible they had back then. So we're talking about a series called Mythbusters, and this is one myth we can bust. So let's do this. <laughs> Here we go. A myth busted. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can trust your word, and thank you that you've given it. Thank you, Lord, that we can know that you are one of the authors of Scripture, that you've inspired the New Testament writers as well to write down your words accurately. And I thank you that even though we don't have the originals anymore, we have this multitude of manuscripts and copies that tell us what the original said. Thank you, Lord, that we can recover the meaning of the text and that by reading it, we can know you. Thank you, Lord, that you've overseen this process. That I thank you, Lord, that none of these manuscripts, none of these copies have serious errors in them. That all of them say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that none of them say that you are a way, a truth, and a life. Thank you, Lord, that we can recover the meaning of the text. You have intended it that way. And that as we read the Bible, that we know that you want to use it to speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you grant our prayers that as we pick up the Bible, it will be as if we are reading the words written especially to us. But Lord, even if that doesn't happen, we trust that you still nourish us with your word. And so, Lord, I just want to invite you in this year, speak to us, give us the discipline to study your word, to take it serious, to ponder on it, to maybe even memorize Bible verses, and to let the truth of the Bible really impact and speak into our lives. Lord, this is our prayer for the year 2022, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>